Welcome to this episode of Life Beyond Our Wildest Dreams Recovery Family Podcast. Uh, We are not affiliated with any specific programs, and this podcast we discuss what we've earned through our recovery. And the opinions are those of the guests only. Today, we welcome back um, our good friend, George, from Nottingham, England. And George, as many of you know him on Twitter as at George c195 and reasons but um we'll stick to the facts right now and uh george is joining us today from england and george is a father of three boys grandfather of one grandson seven years old henry and um george has agreed he's been sober for 13 years january 10th 2009 is his sobriety date And in December, uh, George lost his wife, Jane, who was also um, sober for 13 years. And so today we want to dedicate this to the memory of Jane. And we want to just share some time with, you know, our good friend, George. Many people have been wondering how George has been managing. And basically, you know, just to see and hear his experience of what it's like in recovery to stay sober under any and all conditions. So... George, welcome. You're there. I, you can hear me okay? I can hear you fine, Denise. Lovely to talk to you again. Well, welcome. And George, you know, everybody's prayers and thoughts have been with you. And, you know, you've just done an amazing job on Twitter, as you always do in Recovery Posse, uh, other than the swearing, of course. But, you know, pretty much I'll let you swear as much as you want today. Um <laughs> So you can start right off and you know I'm going to use reverse psychology because once I say that you probably won't say you won't probably won't swear at all. Yeah. But you know you're messing with my mind now. Exactly. So you know George um why don't you just go right into it? You know I appreciate you sharing your experience strength and hope with people because I think when they get sober and life altering things happen to them um sometimes they're equipped sometimes they're not and uh you know they just don't understand how will i stay sober under under any and all conditions so what changed in your sobriety journey on december 30th of this 2021 yeah just before i go into that denise a slight correction my sobriety date is the first of october 2009 so i'm actually 12 years and change sober not 13 Oh, I don't want to give you, I do not want to give you more credit than due. And also, Jane was also sober longer than you. So we got to keep that in context. So yes, thank you for correcting that. Yeah, she got sober about six months before I did, um, which I've spoken about in in the previous podcast. But yeah, on the face of it, the 30th of December was a day just like any other. Um, It wasn't a well-known fact, but Jane had quite a number of health challenges uh, in her later years, mostly around her mental health. Um, And as it turned out, she actually had a a GP appointment the following day, which always tended to spike her anxiety. So when she said to me that she was feeling a bit out of sorts and a bit short of breath, uh, I put it down to for want of a better phrase, a panic attack. And she she took herself off to bed early, earlier than usual. Anyway, fast forward to about five o'clock in the morning. Uh, she got up to, to use the toilet. 
and collapsed as she came back into the bedroom. Uh, tried to get back up, collapsed again, uh, at which point I just went into what the hell do I do mode. And mm. obviously I, I phoned uh 999 which is our equivalent of your 911 uh they talked me through trying to do cpr and um within about 10 minutes uh, an ambulance with three paramedics in it had arrived uh they said they then spent approximately half an hour um i mean these times are just off the top of my head they may not be accurate uh, but they spent about 30 minutes trying to resuscitate her to, to no avail and came down about, uh, I guess, about 5.30 in the morning and, and told me that she'd passed, uh, at which point, you know, it was a real sliding doors moment. Um, my entire world changed in the blink of an eye. Um, I found myself, instead of, of planning a new year, uh, planning a funeral and because it was a what's classed as a sudden and unexpected death uh, obviously uh, the paramedics had to inform the police so the police came um, because obviously they needed to be satisfied that there was nothing remiss yeah um, anyway uh, we had been led to believe that because it was a sudden death at home then the likelihood was that there was going to be a post-mortem which fortunately proved not to be the case the coroner was was satisfied uh with uh the reports that he'd had from the professionals involved and uh in fact without me even realizing it they'd taken a statement from me over the phone um and all the various accounts of what had transpired uh, had stacked up um at, when it actually happened obviously i was uh in a slightly excited state and and was desperate to know what the hell had gone on um i remember the paramedic saying that he couldn't tell me definitively because it wasn't his place to but that um it had all the hallmarks of what he described as a cardiac event. Um, that came as a complete shock to us because despite Jane's uh, medical history, there was nothing at all uh, to suggest that she had any heart problems. So mm. to lose her so suddenly, so unexpectedly to, to a heart attack, which is what the coroner eventually ruled, um, came as a dreadful shock. Um, I bet. That's a pretty shocking, pretty traumatic situation to be in. And how yeah. long were you married? Uh, we were married just over 19 years, but we'd been together um, for about 10 years longer than that. In fact, that, that, that was our second coming because we'd, we'd been together in the 80s and uh, had both gone our separate ways because neither of us wanted to settle down. Both married other people. Uh, and then got back together um, some 10 or so years later. Um, so it was a mostly on and occasionally off relationship, which had lasted about 40 years. 
Wow. That's a long time. Mm. And, um, you know, 19 years, I mean, is a long, long time. So you've had all those years together and then you have this event happen and all of a sudden you just realize that you're going to be on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because in the immediate aftermath of of such an event, you know, there's so much to do in terms of planning a funeral, contacting everyone who needs to be contacted, both friends and family and authorities and one thing and another. Um, that for, for several days, I, I was just on automatic pilot. You know, I didn't actually have time to think about it particularly and, and process it. So you just kind of go into fight or flight and autopilot oh, and you very much so. have all these distractions. And I think the also the other thing is, would you agree that a couple of days goes by or what have you? And then you have that immediate surrounding of contact from friends or family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, all that comes in. And then, you know, eventually when a, there was a period of time, I believe, was there not in between the funeral? There was a few weeks. Yeah, largely because of the, the possibility of there having to be a post-mortem and delays and backlogs caused by, by COVID and, and by the Christmas holidays. Right. Uh, it was actually the 24th of January before we were able to hold a funeral. And um, so all that period of time, though, it's it's so hard to be waiting for anything oh, yeah, in between yeah. because you can't really get on with the grieving you you know you you realize the person's gone but you know it must be a very strange kind of holding place to be at it was it was a weird sort of limbo because we we'd done all that we could do in terms of planning and making arrangements uh and then what now yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was a weird place to be, but I have to say that um, friends, family, and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous wrapped themselves around me like a warm blanket. And you had lots of food and everything coming. Oh yeah, door, I if I, I remember, told you, about, told you about that in one of our chats before. So you know, I mean, people really step up. So you know, fast forward a little bit. Um, so at that period of time from the Jane's sudden death to the funeral. At what point did it cross your mind to have a drink? <laughs> Strangely enough, uh, I can honestly say that it didn't, other than in the context of my knowledge that whatever the circumstance, that me having a drink would not make matters better. It wouldn't bring Jane back. It would make my ability to deal with it and to cope with it exponentially worse. I, I did actually, the day after it happened, um, I went to a meeting, uh, an AA meeting, and there was a newcomer there. And obviously, as, as is uh, custom, everyone was sort of sharing to the newcomer. Uh, it caused quite a stir when I told him that I got the perfect excuse to drink today. Uh, and explained very exactly briefly, what I'm getting at. Very exactly. briefly that uh, what had happened the previous day. And I said, 
I remember saying to him, you know, nobody would judge me. People would understand. In some respects, I'd get a pass for it. Perfect but excuse. It's not an excuse. There is no excuse. See? In my, in my mind, um, I'm safe in the knowledge that regardless of this particular situation, I have never had a problem in my entire life that got better because George was drunk. You know, that, that was true the day I got into recovery. It'll be true the day they see me off, and it's certainly true today. It was certainly true in the immediate aftermath of the 30th of December. And you see, that's the miracle, right? That absolutely, even yeah. under that excruciating emotional loss and pain, that you know, you the miracle of the program is we come in <laughs> with these alcoholic minds and just in such a state, and then so many years later, you can have something that devastating happen. Yeah, and, and you can sit there and still understand, like you said, you're secure in the knowledge you history has proven to us in all different circumstances that that drink is never going to improve it. No, it never did. So why should it now? And, you know, I think it's important to get that message across that, I mean, I, I was the guy who would go out and get drunk if I broke a fingernail or yep. if my boss said something that I didn't like at work or, you know, you can pick any one of a million reasons. Um, yeah. The reality was it was just that. It was an excuse. It wasn't a reason. And like you said today, there are no excuses. No. You had firmly, you had your, because you were dedicated in your recovery on a daily basis, you're a big support of anybody on Twitter and you're always willing to help anybody who's seeking recovery. You, this is ingrained in your day-to-day -day life. This is you eat, you live, you breathe the principles of your daily recovery. And so this was, like you said, just another day where unfortunately these circumstances occurred. But because you had kept depositing into that recovery account, you had something to draw <laughs> out. You had yeah. something to draw out into. Also, I think, don't you think as well in your case... The next part of that, I think, that possibly came into mind for you, too, is that, you know, that's not what Jane would want for you. And oh, she absolutely. she died sober, which we've discussed before, is our goal. She was the winner. Yeah, she won. She's cured. And um, so for you know, it, it would have been apart from anything else, apart from what it would have done to me, to my family to everyone else around me, um, it would have felt, for want of a better phrase, it would have felt incredibly disloyal to take the easy way out. Exactly, exactly. And also almost like not a tarnishing of her memory, but, you know, something mm. that she committed to in her life. And oh, yeah. that she, you know, remained sober. And so really, how could you sit there and justify it? Okay, I'm going to drink. It's okay. But, you know, she died sober. And I just think it's it just goes to show that when you put the time and the effort and 
you work this in all your affairs every day when these big life things come along. I used to always say it was it was well known. I'd say the only situation I could ever think I'd drink is when Charlie passed away, if I was left myself. Yeah. And, and I, the and thing I think that's the important point, Denise. If you were left to your own devices, but we are so blessed that we're not left to our own devices. We we have an incredible fellowship around us both people in a and, and other people in recovery who who follow different programs and, and i'm down with all of that i don't care how someone gets recovery as long as they do uh, as i've spoken of before but it, it's about holding your end up to an extent isn't it to yeah it, it's about demonstrating to people that this stuff does actually work if you work it it's about walking the walk not just talking the talk and we've all met people who can quote you passages and page numbers out of the big book till their heart's content and you know, there are one or two of those that I've come across in my time that I would not want their recovery for all the tea in China. Well, and I think also it comes down to, for myself, I've known many, many people with many, many years, but they have zero days. They mm. cannot they cannot function in the 24 hours they're in. And I think the great thing and a great example I know that touched me was that you are exactly who you are. You do exactly what you say you do. Yeah. And you did exactly what I would expect you to do. And the thing is, is that this is it. Like, you know, it's not from any ego speaking or anything else, but exactly what you're saying and the point you're making. Like, people new that are coming in need examples. They need people like us to show the way. They need people to set the example and say, this horror, like you did to that newcomer, one day after the most devastating thing that can happen to you and you're in a meeting saying, you know, basically I could do this, but I'm choosing not to. And I don't have to today because I have a support system. Yeah. And uh, as a result, you've been able to be the example to show people. I mean, I find that hard to believe within some, but I mean, <laughs> Me too. You, you I'm, I'm more used to being a stark warning than a good example, Denise. <laughs> Remember how they used to always say, I always think about this, you know, a person is either, uh, every person we meet is either an example of what we want to be like or what we don't want to be like. For sure. But, you know, you have provided that example of what people want to be like and the example to show people that even as you're going now through the grieving process and you will for a long time, oh, for that's sure. still yeah. A, it's not necessary to pick up. B, that the support system, if a person is working it on a daily basis, those support systems should be in place. Yeah. And that C, you know, nothing is an excuse. There is no excuse. No. And you know what? I just think it's great that you've taken the courage and the time to, to explain that to people and say, you know, life's going to look different for me, but, you know, nothing stays the same and that, you know, I'm going to just continue with what I'm continuing. And I think if we just stick to our daily, I try in life to not get, whether it's holidays or celebrations, to get too high and too low. I just try to stay with my regular practices every single day. And I think you're like that as well. Yeah, where, very much so. 
your uh, readings, your meetings, whatever, whether it's a holiday or it's not, you're still doing the necessary things every single day. Well, I've been in recovery a wee while now, and I've seen many people fall by the wayside. Almost without exception, um, they have one thing in common, uh, and that's simply that at some point, for some reason, they stop doing the things that were keeping them well. They stop going to meetings. They stop doing the daily practices. They stop reaching out and, and talking to, to other alcoholics. Um, and I think, you know, they go out and they relapse and they come back. I don't know what happened. Well, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course, you, know, you I, do know you didn't want to do the work or you yeah. didn't want to continue with the daily practices. And it's not the huge, great, bigger, shattering things in a day that keeps us sober. It's a small day-to-day -day disciplines. And yeah. so, you know, that's what you have expressed as well. So thank you for giving a, a small snapshot into such a difficult circumstance. And, you know, you're certainly keeping Jane's memory alive and doing that by continuing to stay sober. And I know you will. And how's life looking for you now george how are you managing as far as you still are working correct uh yeah yeah i obviously took some time out uh in the immediate aftermath uh but strangely enough uh i find that getting back to work has been a big help because it gives me a routine um it gives me something else to concentrate on it gives me somewhere else to to put my head because I know through experience um, that if I don't get out of my mind, then at some point I'm going to want to get out of my mind, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And be out you of your know. mind. Exactly. Um, so it's a distraction and it's good that you do feel that, you know, you're able to go to work and you're able to do that. And then what's it been like? When, when Jane uh, was alive, was she the primary connection to the children and grandchildren? Or, like, do you feel there's a real difference now with you kind of being both parents? Or It's it's all a bit weird. Um, the, there's a lot of firsts coming up. You know, the, a few weeks ago, uh, as you know, my son Tom uh, has cerebral palsy and he lives in residential care. Uh, it was the first time he'd come back to the house since the funeral, mm. which was, was quite emotional. Um, yeah. But I wanted to get that out of the way uh, as quickly as possible because I, I, I just feel that the longer we leave these things, um, the more traumatic it's going to be for all concerned. Now, previously, no. were you... Because when you're explaining that, and I hear you explaining it, I hear you looking out for him emotionally. I hear you realizing that it's healthier with the trauma and everything to go through these things sooner rather than later. Now, were you always that engaged on that level? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom, as, as I've explained to, to you in the past, is, is technically my stepson. Uh, he was Jane's son from his first mar uh, from her first marriage, um, but Jane and I have been together since he was he was three years old. 
So, as far as I'm concerned, notwithstanding the exchange of some bodily fluids 32 years ago, he's as much my son as uh, as my other boys. Uh, and, you know, I feel duty-bound to, to be there for him. And, and my other two sons as well have been very, very supportive. Uh, now, when, when I was drinking, none of the kids wanted to know me. And frankly, I couldn't blame them. Um, but since since I got sober, we've managed to re-engage and rebuild our relationships. And if anything, they're stronger now than they ever were before. And the other thing is, too, with the podcast, of course, we have changed it, um, you know, somewhat into being more family orientated as well. And the thing yeah. is, your grandson, who's seven, he would have never seen you drinking. And... One day at a time, hopefully, and ever will. So, you know, again, that's the benefit of the program. He didn't have to be in a situation as a young child who's lost a grandmother and then shows up at the grandfather's and the grandfather's drinking. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, have, I have experience of this um, because um, when my father died, I was still drinking. And I was an absolute mess, you know. Yeah. I made it all about me, and it was it was very ugly. I mean, yeah. I didn't quite get arrested the night before the funeral, but I was certainly asked to leave the family home and had to go and stay with uh, my sister. Um, fast forward ten years to when my mother died, I was sober, uh, and I was able to manage the situation with the dignity that it deserved. Yeah. Well, and, and you're certainly doing the to, same thing now. To grieve properly. Uh, you know, I never really grieved my father for many years after he died. Um, I'm still grieving Jane, obviously, and will be for some considerable period of time, uh, I'm pretty sure. But I will do that in my own time and I will do it properly. Um, yeah. You know, people, people keep asking me how I am. Uh, and the only thing that comes to mind is is that something that my mother used to say in in her later years when I'd ask her how she was doing because she was she was eighty nine when she died, my mom. And her oh no, George, we're going to have you till you're eighty nine. At least oh, it's only no. the good. It's only the good that die young, Denise. So you've oh, got boy. years of me, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> So we'll both be here for a long time. Absolutely. But my mother used to always, when I asked her how she was, she used to always have a, a stock phrase that she parroted back at me, which was, well, you know how it is, son. Some days I'm all right and some days I'm all wrong. That's the you truth. Know, and, and that's kind of how it is. You know, it's that um, simple. You know, people talk about the, the various stages of grieving, grief, denial, anger blah 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 you know I, I experience those on a daily basis you know yeah um, i was i was listening to the radio the other day and a song came on that reminded me of jane and i was a blubbering wreck for about an hour yeah you know uh, but other days i'm reasonably focused and settled on on plotting a way forward well, and I don't think, I think grief is just a process as well. And the thing well, is, it's, it's a reflection. It's, it's not linear. And it's a reflection of your love for her. So, you know, it's going to come and go. And the thing is, children grieve differently. 
losing a parent than a spouse grieves. No, oh, for and, sure. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. different for everyone in the family, but I think the greatest gift is they've got you, they've got your attention. You know, you've got their emotional well-being yeah. in hand. And hopefully they, they appreciate that, you know. Well, I think that pretty much if I was a child and had a sober parent under those circumstances, I would be very, very grateful. So, you know, George, just continue doing what you're doing and keep on keeping on. And you know what? You're, you're, you're just shedding a light on such important issues about just how important it is to just keep doing what we do every single day oh, yeah. under any and all circumstances. Yeah. And I don't know as we close, if you really want to know this, but um, you did not swear the entire time. So oh, I fuck. think that that, see, okay. <laughs> so you see, Sorry, couldn't resist. You get it in at the end. Last, last podcast was the, the beginning, but I'd say yeah. for family recovery podcast, I'm very impressed with your, with your yeah, uh, use you of language. You can edit that better if you need to, Denise, I don't mind. I'm but, just, um, you're, you're, yeah. you're doing great, George, and thank you so, so much for taking the time today. Thank you no so much for no, sharing no your experience with us and if take good helps, care. If it helps anyone else anywhere along the line, then it's a job well done. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. And Charlie and I both send our love. Yeah, right back at you, kid. Bye.